Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life the Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to Countdown to Kickoff. I'm your host, the one and only Anthony Denmark, Denmark like the country. And, of course, this is Countdown to Kickoff. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. We are now less than 200 days until kickoff. And I know that for most college football fans out there like myself, it cannot get here soon enough. But thanks to the football gods, we can honestly, graciously say that since time is not stopping, by the day, by the hour, by the second, by the minute, we grow closer to week one of the 2017 college football season. However, we do know that although the stadiums are empty at this particular moment, although we do know that gating is not currently taking place in some of the most impassioned college football towns across the country, We, however, do know that there are definitely still things going on in the world of college football, and I consider it my duty, my calling, my responsibility to make sure it always lets you guys know what's happening and what's up. So what's on tap for today's show today? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about Sooner Magic. We do know for the sake of the state of Oklahoma, the 2017 season year has definitely been one filled with a lot of ups, but unfortunately a whole lot more downs. We do know, of course, that Oklahoma is still reeling from the loss of Donald, I said Donald Trump, <laughs> reeling from the loss of Kevin Durant, who decided to go to greener, golden pastures. We do know that um, although the Oklahoma Sooners did, Failed quite well in having a remarkable season. We do know that that set success was mired in speculation and controversy, dealing largely with the issues with Joe Mixon and also with the instance dealing with D.D. Westbrook. So with those things in mind, although 2016, of course, ended with a win, the hope, at least for Sooners fans, is that the 2017 season, for the sake of the state, can at least be able to be one that's scandal-free. So we're going to talk about the Oklahoma Sooners. We're going to talk about their massive losses due to graduation and the NFL draft. We're going to talk about specifically about the NFL Combine, 330 players invited. However, one Sooner was invited, while another more talented Sooner was not invited. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the fact about if – Mark Stoops' last name was not Stoops. Would he still be the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma? We're, of course, going to go over their recruiting class. Unfortunately or fortunately, their class was definitely impressive. 
However, as a total, as the conference as a whole, it was rather disappointing. So we're going to talk about all those things regarding to the Sooners. Of course, we do know that uh, Big Bob Stoops is itching at the bit to play Ohio State in Ohio State. But we do know you got to have the horses, the talent, at least the speed and the athletic prowess on the defensive side of the ball. So did they get those pieces in this past recruiting class? We're going to cover all those things on the show. So we're going to have a little sooner feel for a portion of the show. However, before we get to those particular things, I do want to talk specifically, I guess, about the Big 12. Of course, we do know that it has become the Big 12 philosophy to measure 10 times and cut once, or it seems likely to measure 10 times and measure and evaluate those 10 times that you measured. And it seems as if that that these delays have found itself perpetuating itself into the NCAA in regards to how they're trying to determine if, in fact, they're going to be able to add on a 10th uh, member to the coaching staff. As now they're as what was initially supposed to be a meeting of the minds to take a vote, now they're having a meeting to evaluate the meeting to determine if, in fact, they're going to be able to have a meeting to take a vote on adding a 10th assistant coach. However, we do know that we are now in the stratosphere of college football where college football programs are currently being run by NFL programs. So we do know that just with the addition or the omission of a 10th coach, we just know that we're going to have a lot of other analysts doing those particular jobs. Now, in trying to figure out what I was going to talk about on today's show outside of our previews of the Oklahoma Sooners, I found myself at a barbershop waiting for two hours with my son to get his hair cut. And, of course, we do know that during barbershop banter, people oftentimes delusion or they believe that there's some expert in college football. However, oftentimes you realize just by hearing these conversations how outdated their their prowess is and how inaccurate their prowess is. It's the guy in the barbershop spouted about the praise and the elite status of the Miami Hurricanes, spouting that these were still an elite program, although they had not won a national championship since 2001. Of course, that was met with, a stern stare and an eye roll by myself as I was more than happy to correct him and let him know that, you know what, the last time that Miami was actually relevant, a lot of children were not born. In fact, the last time that Miami was relevant was a very long, long time ago. So we're going to go to a time machine and compare then to now, and we're going to talk about some of those prominent players and where they are then, where they were then and where they are now. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and talk about these Sooners. Now, of course, we do know that the last time that the Sooners won a national championship was a long time ago. Think about how long it was that the last time the Sooners played for a national championship. It was this guy by the name of Adrian Peterson, who may be near the end of his career, or at least we've seen the best of him. But In order to get some questions answered about the current state of the Sooners, let's go ahead and uh, get this caller on the line who knows everything Sooners. He writes for CrimsonAndCreamMachine.com to find out what's happening and what's up with these Sooners and what we should expect from them in the 2017 season. Welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that I started the show by talking about how, in some sense, for the entire state of Oklahoma, it's definitely been a year uh, filled with a lot of speculation and criticism that either one being the Central Michigan call, no call, or the instance that took place with Joe Mixon and D.D. Westbrook, or, of course, we do know about the Kevin Durant fiasco that took place. However, we do know it seems as if we've now come to a particular point where the Oklahoma Sooners now find themselves being the face of the state. Now, starting off, I want to ask you specifically, uh, we know that Joe Mixon was not invited to the combine, but Dean Westbrook was. Did you find a problem in one being invited and one not being invited? Well, I think that uh, you could definitely uh, point to some hypocrisy or, or, or double standards there, but it's not really difficult to, to figure out why the NFL may have uh, gone that direction. Obviously, Joe Mixon's um, situation um, is much more in the public mind and in the public eye, and that's mostly because of the, the, the video that was released. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right to point out that D.D. Westbrook has had um, you know, these allegations leveled against him as well, and uh, I'm sure that Oklahoma is, um, you know, looking forward to, to turning the page on, on that chapter. But it is a little strange to see uh, one guy in the combine and one guy not just because there happens to be, you know, video evidence of one of, one of their actions. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Graham Dudley. He writes for CrimsonCreamMachine.com covering the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, of course, we do know, despite their offense, off-field uh, issues that, I mean, Joe Mixon, D.D. Westbrook, and also Samaje Piran were pretty much the face of the uh, offense. Of course, I'm not going to – I'm not trying to slight Baker Mayfield, but <laughs> this this current recruiting class, I mean, it's impressive. you got 19 four-star players. you got a nice overhaul of offensive weapons. Out of this recruiting class, who do you see being able to step up and replace – some of these dynamic stars are going to be paid to play on Sunday next year. It's going to be uh, super tough. Yeah, I know that a lot of Oklahoma Sooners fans are really optimistic. They really believe that um, as long as Baker Mayfield is around, that things are going to work out fine, and I hope that's true as well. Uh, I know that last offseason uh, there was a lot of concern that Sterling Shepard had departed for the NFL, and Sooners fans were wondering how uh, we were going to take care of that, and we just had another wide receiver step right up and actually uh, exceed his production. Uh, I've heard a little bit of uh, early rumblings about a California receiver named Marquise Brown, who apparently is very uh, fast and uh, might be a D.D. Westbrook uh, could step in and play the same role that he did. And we also got some uh, running back experience. We did well on our running backs in the sense that we got uh, both a, a JUCO receiver, um, Trey Sermon, but also we got um, some high school options as well. And then we're returning a guy named uh, Abdul Adams, who uh, got a start last year. And so there's, you know, a little bit uh, behind um, Mixon and Pirine that, that is coming back. But for the most part, it's going to be like four or five guys um, kind of clamoring for those for those touches and those starts. And I'm not as worried about replacing uh, Westbrook, but I do think that uh, those are just really two, two generational talents that we just lost in our backfield. I really had suspected going into the offseason that one would come back, but neither one did. So um, I'm anxious to see which of our next batch of running backs can really step up and be the answer there. 
Absolutely. Of course, we do know that Joe Mixon, of course, he probably had no choice but to leave. And, of course, we do know in the case of Samaje P. Ryan, uh, mm-hmm. we do know he battled a lot of injuries. So that could have been one of the main reasons why he decided to uh, go ahead and finally at least get some type of payment before he uh, may get injured again. However, we do know, I mean, I think one of the lessons that we learned this season, at least in the sake of the Sooners, is that we aren't going to doubt the offense. We doubted we had questions, like you said, about Sterling Shepard. Voila, D.D. Westbrook. So I think there's very few people that are going to question the explosive potential of the Oklahoma Sooner offense. However, the same cannot be said about the defense. I want to ask you this question. If the defensive coordinator was not the brother of the head coach, would Mark Sue still be the coach of still be employed with the Sooners? So the defense was downright atrocious this past season. You know, man, um, I don't think so. Uh, I know that Bob, um, during the season, was, like, really, really defiant. He didn't like being asked that question. He would say things like, uh, well, this is the same defense that uh, was the best in the Big 12 last season, and it's the same scheme, and we just need to uh, play better, is basically what he was, was saying. But I think the results you know, kind of uh, spoke for themselves. Um, of, you know, Bob was right. It was the same scheme that was the best in the Big 12 last season, but I think that if you don't have the personnel to run the same defense and have that kind of success, uh, then you need to adjust, you need to adapt, and uh, I don't think Mike did a very good job of that last season. But having said that, um, Mike did deal with a really crazy rash of injuries uh, last season as well that is something that sometimes gets overlooked. And uh, there were guys who weren't playing up to their potential, like a corner named uh, Jordan Thomas didn't have a, a great season like many people thought he would. But I think um, – I think injuries have to really be taken into account. And I, I, I have to believe that Bob really thinks that it was the injuries that were the problem last year because uh, he was very, very vocally supportive of his brother whose defense had a pretty pretty bad year, especially the first half of the year. Absolutely. Now, of course, my own personal opinion, I think the biggest difference between last year and the previous season is the fact that Ohio State was on the schedule. And I think mm-hmm. that game in prime time, at Oklahoma is what kind of set the bad taste in the mouth in regards to the defense. However, we do know that there are a lot of talented defensive players that are coming into uh, Oklahoma, coming into Norman. Uh, On the defensive side of the ball, who can we expect? Because there's a lot of holes there. Who do we expect to probably come in and be a difference maker out of this recruiting class? Well, um, I think that towards the end of the year – we got excited about freshmen like Jordan Parker and Caleb Kelly. Parker's a cornerback and Kelly's a linebacker, and I think that those two really worked to uh, kind of stabilize that situation a little bit. As far as the incoming recruiting class, I think you have to start with this uh, linebacker core that we pulled in. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, um, we had our only five-star in the class was Jacob Phillips until about a week before signing day when he flipped to LSU, and he would have been a really good addition. But uh, we still uh, inked uh, a dude named Levi Draper, uh, a guy named Kenneth Murray, and one named Addison Gums. And those three uh, are all four stars. And uh, I'm told that the Sooners are, you know, we, we, we were told by Bob Stoops that they're going to um, look again at a, a 4-3 look this season, which I don't know. I mean, I feel like we, 
I feel like our linebackers are no longer the weakness that maybe they once were, and we would want a lot of them on the field at a time. But regardless, uh, these are really versatile guys. I feel like um, Oklahoma won't have any problems. Uh, maybe plugging in one or two of them to get some significant playing time this season, uh, despite the fact that they're just freshmen. Other than that, I mean, I think we're looking at defensive backs. Uh, I know Justin Broyles is going to be in the cornerback mix right away because the cornerback position is not very deep, even though, like I said, Jordan Parker did kind of shore it up a little bit. Um, One thing I would be kind of concerned about, like I said, we're moving to a 4-3, and our defensive line uh, was thin all last season, and it's still thin, and that was the thinnest part of our recruiting class. So I'm interested to see um, if we can fill all those uh, line spots with with quality talent that we we really need to, to, to stop the run. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that it seems as if, and I think wisely so, uh, that we see that Oklahoma has kind of changed some of this recruiting philosophy. For far so long, we pretty much had a pipeline going from Oklahoma to Texas. However, you see now that they've started to specifically create a real successful pipeline to the Golden State in California. And it seems as if it's been able to uh, yield huge dividends. I remember initially one of the big ones in the past was when Kenny Steele uh, decided to stiff arm all those Cali schools on the West Coast and uh, come down to uh, come down to Norman. Can you sp- tell me specifically in regards to how Oklahoma's changed its uh, recruiting philosophy and uh, how do you see it impacting uh, Oklahoma in the long run? Well, uh, a few years ago, um, Bob Stoops for a really long time was really known for his devotion to his coaching staff. And obviously his staff had a transition and it had turnover, but most of that was because guys were leaving for other positions. And Bob was just really slow to uh, fire anybody. But he finally got to the point where he was willing to take a second look at people and uh, try new things. And I think uh, that most famously happened when he uh, let go of Josh Heupel and Jane Orvell and, and brought in Lincoln Riley a couple of years ago. Um, and changes like that, there were also changes in the defensive staff with some of the position coaches. And the result has been some really talented, uh, really versatile recruiters who have kind of experience in a large geographic footprint. And you're right, they've really been able to branch out and not only go to California, but they just brought in a quarterback from North Carolina, and they have a solid pipeline in Florida. They're doing a really good job of expanding their their footprint, like I said. Now, uh, having said that, of course, uh, Texas and Oklahoma guys uh, do and should uh, make up the backbone of the class, and I know that Oklahoma had a particularly talented group of Texans uh, entered the class this year, but gone are the days when you know half the class or more than half the class is coming from Texas uh, because the Sooners know that now they're competing with the SEC and the Big Ten and the Lone Star State, and they're going to have to um, rethink things and diversify a little bit in order to compete with the SEC and the Big Ten, and that's why I'm really encouraged to see this geographic diversity, and I hope it continues in the years to come. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that we have less than 200 days until week one of the college football season. However, I do want to, we do know right now a lot of the Sooner players who are the graduated or declared for the draft are pretty much right now preparing for the combine and preparing for the pro days. Now, in the case of Larry Walker, who, of course, definitely did not leave Oklahoma on good terms, and, of course, we do know that the, the situation with Joe Mixon is well chronicled. But I do want to mm-hmm. ask this. In light of those two particular players specifically, uh, will those particular players be welcome back to Norman to participate in the Pro Day? In the Pro Day, um, 
I haven't heard uh, whether or not, but I can't. Joe Mixon specifically, yeah, I think that um, he will be uh, welcome to participate. And I, I would assume that Charles Walker would as well. I think that the program knows that uh, with Joe Mixon not going to the Combine, um, he really needs that time to uh, to get scouts on campus and to look at him. And uh, But Charles Walker is a weird one. For people who uh, may not know, he left the program um, basically midway through the season, um, because of concussion issues, but it wasn't because he wasn't uh, cleared to play. He just decided that he uh, didn't want to risk getting concussed again and wanted to jump straight to the NFL and start preparing for the NFL draft, which I, I think rubbed a lot of fans the wrong way and rubbed the coaches the wrong way. Mike Stoops basically came out and, you know, without without really calling him out, was just like, that was his decision. You have to talk to him. He obviously was not thrilled about it. So the idea of him coming back to campus and participating in our pro day is a little weird for me, and that's definitely a storyline to keep an eye on as the spring goes on. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Graham Dudley from CrimsonCleanMachine.com. I want to thank you for coming on to the show. And although we do know that Norman at this particular time, the stadium is empty, but we do know that there's always news to report. I want to hope to have you on the show throughout the off season, and, of course, throughout the season report on the Norman uh, report on Norman and everything going on with the Sooners. Anthony, it would be my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Now, of course, one of the things that often happen at this particular time during the non-game portions of the season of college football is you find yourself mired in off-field controversies. Of course, we knew that that was a distraction, of course, that found itself immersing itself throughout Norman during Oklahoma's successful season, so much so that, I mean, ultimately, this past season, despite its offensive explosion, despite the fact that you had a record-setting running back, it's almost found itself being defined as a Joe Mixon tape. Uh, nevertheless, we're going to see how that whole situation is unraveling. But like I said before, as I say always, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. But like I said before, before we had our guest on the show, I wanted us to go into the time machine to see exactly how many things have changed, how many players' fortunes have changed since the last time, I guess, some of my fellows in the barbershop recall the glory days. Now, of course, we do know that the last time that the last time that Oklahoma found itself in the national championship, it was in 2001 who was, when the quarterback was Josh Heifel. Josh Heifel, of course, had a time where he was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. He's now gone to different pastures. However, we also know that that quarterback at that particular time, well, I just said that was a quarterback, and I think that quarterback during that time also, during the time of Jason White, uh, the running back was, Adrian Peterson, who's now in his 16th season with the Minnesota Vikings, possibly on the verge of finishing out maybe his last two or three years in the pros. However, since that time, a lot of other things have changed. I found myself thinking about the guy in the barber chair who had a bald head but was getting a cut, was talking about the Miami Hurricanes, was talking about how great that Miami Hurricane team was. And, of course, we do know that it's not something that's up for debate. We do know that that team was extremely dominant. We do know that that team was also well represented in the draft with seven going in the first round. We do know that those Miami's team squads had 38 players from those particular rosters 
find itself in the NFL. But you know what? That was a long, long time ago. And you may say, Denmark, what do you mean it was such a long time ago? Well, let's see here. Vince Wilfork has already announced that he's going to retire. He was on one of those squads. Ed Reed, of course, is now a coach in, a, co- a position coach in the NFL, and he has already retired. Mike Rump, who, of course, was one of those dominant cornerbacks that found himself hearing his name called in the first round, he is now a position coach with the Miami Hurricanes. We do know, of course, Antrell Rowe, who was also one of those dynamic players, he is also now retired. Ken Dorsey, of course, the dynamic quarterback, college quarterback at that time, he is now, what, in his fifth season as the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. So my, oh, my, oh, my, how things change. And, of course, we do know that at that time, from this time, if you compare it, you see that the fortunes of the Miami Hurricanes have really changed significantly. The last time the Miami Hurricanes had a player drafted in the first round, let's see here. Would you say Kenny Phillips from the New York Giants? I think you would have to say Kenny Phillips. No, Philip Dorsett from the Indianapolis Colts. That happened three years ago. That was only one player drafted. That's been a long time since Miami Hurricanes have had a player drafted in the first round. Now, of course, you know that the tight end, whose last name I cannot pronounce, but I can spell N-J-O-K-U, will likely be the next possible, likeliest Hurricane player to be drafted in the first round, maybe, possibly. However, we do know that we see that the fortunes of programs oftentimes change rather significantly over a period of time. And I just had to inform the guy in the barber chair with the bald head getting a cut with no hair on his head that, you know what, you're we're a little bit outdated, almost 15 years outdated. But nevertheless, we do know oftentimes when we come to the world of college football, we find ourselves cherishing those moments of glory and oftentimes conveniently forgetting that those moments of glory were nearly 15 years ago. However, we do see that we also have current situations where we see how fortunes oftentimes can change rather quickly. I, for one, find myself always looking for dark horses, always looking for interesting and very compelling stories. And, of course, one of the stories I found myself looking at specifically uh, took place in at West Virginia. As West Virginia, we do know there was this guy who committed to USC as a fifth grader, who then, of course, found himself and his talents no longer being able to progress from the fifth grade all the way to the 12th grade. Then I'm talking about Steels, Kevin Steels, who, of course, talents no longer continue to make the necessary progressions to, to warrant being committed to USC. He had that scholarship ultimately taken away, and he found himself at West Virginia. Now, of course, at West Virginia, he unfortunately found himself in a position where, you know what, those skill sets that, of course, he was highly, that he was highly praised for as a fifth grader, eighth grader, middle schooler, were no longer at the level warranting him being able to play a quarterback position in the Power Five Conference, which, of course, led to Mr. Stills having to make that transition to wide receiver. Now, of course, he actually performed quite well at that position. However, I guess thinking about his glory days when he was a parade this, parade that, 
Five Star, the second coming of the next golden boy to leave USC and emerge out of the the scandals that, of course, the program was mired in at that particular time, found himself perplexed and troubled and wanted to see if, in fact, that he could find himself possibly playing quarterback again. Transferred, and unfortunately during his transfer, he also was able to get that huge and significant reality check that those days of being a quarterback, well, those days are now gone. And, of course, he now transferred back to West Virginia to play wide receiver which, of course, I find awfully interesting. We think about how the fortunes of these young men oftentimes can change by the day, change by the month, based off of their inability to either one, acquire additional arm strength or based off of their inability to continue to make the necessary progressions that their peers oftentimes find themselves making. But it doesn't just stop with Mr. Stills. As, of course, we do know that there was this – we do know that at West Virginia they do have a quarterback – a quarterback who at one particular point may have been considered to be the best quarterback in the SEC. Now, of course, right now you don't find many people talking about him, but you know what? On Countdown to Kickoff with your boy Denmark, I always find myself committed to providing you guys insightful stories to make you you think. That quarterback that I'm referring to is Will Greer. He, of course, is responsible, in my own opinion, solely responsible for being able to lead, surprise everybody in the nation when he took the Florida Gators on a magnificent ride that, of course, cost Kirby smartest job at Georgia. I'm sorry, Kirby cost Will Muschamp his job at Florida. And it made me say to my, I'm sorry, Mark Rick's job at Georgia. And it made me say to myself, my, my, how the fortunes of Will Greer changed from a positive drug test to finding himself almost becoming an afterthought. At one particular point in time, Will Greer was being mentioned as being the next NFL quarterback. He was mentioned in most Heisman races. And many people, when they mentioned him as being the most talented quarterback in the SEC, which also included quarterbacks like Dak Prescott, nobody questioned or challenged it or even, even gave it a second thought. However, now we find ourselves having to remind us, remind you guys about the talent and the ability of Will Greer, who now finds himself now being eligible immediately at West Virginia, and it's going to be a very compelling story to watch. Now, of course, we do know oftentimes quarterbacks are, find themselves in the so-called air raid office. They find themselves oftentimes being marginalized because of the offensive firepower that they're able to continue to put out on a high rate. However, we did see this past draft, we saw that there was a quarterback that came from a similar air raid. Of course, the gentleman I'm talking about went to Cal and now, of course, is with the Los Angeles Rams. And you say to yourself, hmm, you see the success of Patrick Mahomes, who will likely hear his name called much earlier than many people expect to hear in the draft. And you say to yourself, also, David Webb, who replaced the quarterback that was drafted by the Rams, who, of course, will likely hear his name also called a little bit higher than many people expect in the draft. And you say, who will this impact the most, most positively? Of course, we do know that it will definitely impact certain coaches. We do know that, of course, it will impact uh, Mike Leach. We do know that it will positively impact Luke Falk. 
at Washington State, but you also have to realize that this is going to also impact Will Greer, who's already demonstrated an ability to be able to function at a high rate of level with Florida in a pro-style offense, and now you know that he's going to also be able to put up a nice little set of offensive output with the West Virginia Mountaineers. Now, nobody's talking about Will Greer now. Remember that you heard it first on Countdown to Kickoff that Will Greer may be an afterthought now. But Will Greer could find himself being the biggest benefactor in regards to this upcoming season. But again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And of course, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, of course, you know, as I said before, during this time of the year, there's nothing going on on the field. They, of course, have off-season conditioning programs going on. However, we also do know that, unfortunately, at this particular time, where players and athletes oftentimes have more free time, that free time ultimately ends up becoming a detriment to the program. And I say this because, what do they say? Idle, idle time is the devil's playhouse. And no more have we seen that happen already within this week. As you see the offensive tackle, Mr. Cotton from Alabama, get arrested for a misdemeanor for marijuana. And, of course, now we're seeing the whole scandal unravel right now currently and presently at Michigan State. But we have three players whose names have been disclosed and not released to the media who find themselves mired in speculation for sexual assault. And if to make matters worse, there is also an implication that maybe the recruiting coordinator at Michigan State may also have played a role in this particular antic. Two days ago, he was actually suspended with pay, and his reason for the suspension has yet to be released. So you say to yourself with these particular situations, we have less than 200 days until college football starts. And I'm more than sure that Mark D'Antoni down at Ace Lampton is more than anxious to get his guys free time, marginalized, and reduced significantly so that it provides less time for these guys to find themselves getting into trouble. But, of course, at this particular juncture, we do know that the attorney investigating the case has asked for additional information. So I'm more than sure that this story is only the beginning and we're going to see how this not only impacts Mark Antonio's college football program, but also how it's going to impact the athletic director at Michigan State, who has definitely, definitely finds himself no longer just celebrating Final Four appearances and 10-win seasons by the football program, but finally finds himself having to deal with some serious issues that, of course, will not go away, but must find itself being resolved. So, as I say again in life, as I say in sports, and in case of the situation going on in East Lansing, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, as always, as always, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, of course, we do know in addition to kids finding themselves getting in trouble, we oftentimes find coaches moving and shaking to different programs. We find that, I call that specifically moving day. And moving day seems to have no dead period like recruiting. Moving day is something that's continuous and it's rapid. 
We do know that moving day happens with players, as we do know that, of course, Blake Barnett, former five-star, former elite 11, former Alabama quarterback who transferred to Arkansas, transferred to Arizona State because he felt that he got his feelings hurt. <laughs> News broke out today that Blake Barnett said that the reason, one of many reasons why he decided to transfer from Alabama was because he felt like Nick Saban disrespected him when he called him nervous, when he said that he was nervous when he played in the first game of the season as the starter against Alabama. Now, of course, we do know at times we can say that when you have an opinion, it's definitely something that can can be debated and it's definitely something that can be open up to interpretation. However, I don't know about you, but if you saw the same USC-Alabama game that I saw, Blake Barnett definitely did look rattled. And I'm more than sure that I cannot blame him for looking rattled. But also another reason, because the reason why he left is because he saw the writing on the wall. He saw that when he was unable to perform, he saw the offense explode. He saw this guy by the name of Jalen Hurts take the offense, and he saw that, you know what, I think I had my chance in game one, and I think I may have blown my chance in game one. However, of course, I, for one, never wish misfortune on any of these young men as they embark on the challenge of playing college football and they embark on the challenge of being able to accomplish your lifelong dream of hearing their name called by Roger Goodell and finally getting paid to play. So we're going to see what happens with Blake Barnett. We're going to see, of course, he now, of course, reunites with his quarterback coach at Alabama, Mr. Napier, who, of course, took the job as the offensive coordinator at Arizona State. So I wonder if he can handle tough coaching. I wonder if he's just soft as putty. As, of course, we do know that a recent report Investigation was done at Colorado State in basketball where the investigation concluded that Coach Larry Ustasey, who, of course, type of humanitarian award, the investigation uncovered that Larry Ustasey was too mean to his players. He hurt their feelings. And, of course, he had to issue out a public apology for that. But, you know, like I said before, we are now entering into a new world of college football, college sports, where college coaches have to find themselves trying to straddle that red line of being able to push their players while also not being accused of being verbally abusive. Now, of course, we do know that that line is something that's very thin and very something very easy to cross. I don't know if it's because the millennials of these days are just too damn soft, but nevertheless, tough coaching and abuse, where do we draw the line? hey, you got the answer, please let me know because I am all out of ideas. Because if, in fact, we do know that some of the most successful coaches in college football, in college sports, in the NFL, one of their calling cards is being a tough coach. And sometimes that means saying things that you may not like to hear, but something that you may need to hear. That, of course, is what led Nick Saban to win his championship. That, of course, is what led... Urban Meyer won his championships, and if you for one believe that Dabo Sweeney, Dabo Sweeney is just Mr. Nice Guy all the time, then you will be sadly mistaken. 
because tough coaching is the only way that you're able to, one, minimize the possibility of mistakes and ensure that you're able to maximize the potential of all your athletes who are trying to be able to win games and also trying to save the coach's job. And let's be real, ladies and gentlemen, although we do know that, of course, Larry Ustacey at Colorado State will never get a humanitarian award. Where was Colorado State basketball before Larry Ustacey was there? Oh, he's not drinking with college students like he did, which led to him being fired at Iowa State. But where was Colorado State basketball before Larry Ustacey? Nowhere. Where are they now? Hey, they go to the tournament year in and year out. So you take the good, you take the bad and you take the games. But again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, we're definitely going to see what's happening, and we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, of course, as I bring my show to a close, I want to thank Graham Dudley from CrimsonMachine.com for coming on to share his insight and expertise on the Sooners. At this particular juncture, like I said before, the Sooners cannot wait to start the 2017 season. And I'm more than sure that the entire state of Oklahoma is looking for winners. They're looking for guys who want to be there, Kevin Durant. They're looking for a reason to be able to celebrate. It has been nearly 16 years, 17 years, since the Oklahoma Sooners won a national championship. Will it be 18? In less than 200 days, week one of the college football season, we'll grow that much closer to getting our answer. Thank you guys for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. And remember to stay tuned to sports. I know I will. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down. One word. While you're at it, Make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports, and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at EatDrinkSleepSports.com. Till next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.